There's always a pause. We're live. Welcome in, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's uh, Tuesday, April 18th. We're one day away from earnings. I am joined by Omar from Whole Mars Catalog on Twitter, one of the best Twitter accounts to follow. Omar, how are you doing, bro? Good to uh, finally speak with you on the channel. How you been? Hey, yeah, great to be here. Happy Tesla Earnings Eve. Yeah, right? <laughs> Happy Tesla Earnings Eve. Uh, this yeah, is going to be a big one, I feel like. It's going to be huge. It's going to be a real big one. There's so much anticipation with uh, for so many different things, right? There's the whole auto mar margin thing going on. Uh, you know, we've had the deliveries report that came out, which was a record quarter. We have so much happening. And maybe, you know, maybe we'll just start there. Um, real quick for the folks on Spaces, uh, we're on Spaces. We're also on Twitter live stream. So if you go on, on my profile, you can also view a video of this on Twitter as well. So and we're also on YouTube. So yeah, if you want to we'll be crazy, have there. all three up at the um, same time real quick for the and then decide which spaces, one you want. <laughs> uh, we're on spaces, we're also on but uh, Omar, yeah, tell me. Streams. So what, what are you expecting you from this on, thing? Maybe we'll kick off from there. I mean, there's so much to talk about. Where's your head at with earnings? So if you want to be crazy, have all three up at the same time. And then decide I think which one you want. there's a lot of interesting <laughs> things happening, but the but, number uh, one Omar, thing yeah, on everybody's so mind is we'll can the company there, make so money at these about, prices? Where, where's your right? head at with earnings? I mean, that's been the big concern. They've uh, lowered the prices of the vehicles. Have they sabotaged their business? A lot of analysts have been re revising their targets down. Saying, okay, we can the company more. make money at these prices? SPs. I mean, that's been the big concern. The gross margins at these the prices. Of the vehicles. Have they that's going to be extremely bullish for the company. A lot of analysts. But if they aren't able to maintain at least 20% that Zach guided to, as a result of lower then so it's probably going to be a bloodbath. I mean, I think the stock is kind of deciding whether to go one way or another. And that's really going to determine what people expect in terms of their earnings for the rest of the year. That's Zach guided to. Are you um so when you heard the guidance from Zach on I think it was on Q4 to go uh, earnings did you take it as really a um what as Q1 being a 20% margin you, or uh, higher or 47 so I think ASB the was the other figure Zach they threw on, out did you take it as a yearly thing how how did you absorb that information did you take it as a well I was surprised um, I wasn't sure what to expect from ghost margins, whether we might see, you know, single digits or see it in the teens or even, you know, see them swing to a loss temporarily. I obviously don't have a good handle on what's going on cost wise for Tesla. So it really could be anything. So I was kind of reassured to see him say, okay, well, it's not going to fall below 20 percent. You know, in recent quarters, it's been, you know, 25, 26 percent. So as long as it stays above 20, you know, 21 um, or so, that would be extremely positive um, in my, from my perspective. It would show that they can reach record volumes, they can do record deliveries. But as long as it stays above 20, you know, 21 gotcha. um, or so. Um, Omar, I think we might be having be an echo issue. Positive. Is there any um, way you can mute your computer audio that's coming out from your speakers? They can reach record um, I think we're getting echo on YouTube. And then try uh, unmuting your mic and uh, saying a few more gotcha. words to see if that works. Um, Omar, I think we might be having an echo issue. Right, is there on the echo cancellation, does that work? Audio that's coming out from your speakers. Okay, does that work for anybody? Let me know, producer wife in the chat, in the private chat, if that works. Uh, um, more words to see if that works. Yeah, I, I think from my perspective, what 
sort of turned on the echo cancellation what what i what i've sort of took from the guidance was that Uh, it seemed like it seemed like the um the 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 cost savings from the supply chain with the raw materials this uh scaling up of berlin and austin um you know the 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 next generation lines in in these new factories at some point um we have to sort of recognize some of these savings right and so i'm curious to see if maybe um you know that that's going to get recognized in q1 or or q2 so hold on a second uh omar so it looks like we're still getting um echo is there uh, is the audio coming from your headphones or is it coming from your computer uh like you hearing me which which ones is it coming through yeah i'm hearing it in my ear or q2 in your ear and it's not coming out of the computer looks like we're still getting um Echo. Okay. Is so there, looks like there's, uh, there's the a audio second audio source coming through from your computer for uh, some reason. I wonder. Um, oh, you know what it is? Uh, try. Is it the thing in the background, babe? Maybe the spaces. Maybe we'll need to uh, remove that from the thing. Okay. Uh, mute at the site. Can you try removing it from the background? Maybe that's maybe that's part of the issue. If you just throw it to the back end. Okay. Are we still getting echo on? YouTube. Go ahead and say a few words, Omar. Hello. What's going <laughs> on? <laughs> nice. Let me know. This if, is uh, ambitious to do it on Spaces and YouTube at the same time, you know? Yeah. We've uh, we've done it with good soil before, um, and, and it seemed to work great. Uh, sometimes, I guess, we, we, get, we hit some uh, things. Okay, we're good now. Okay, perfect. All right, we're good now. So it looks like it was just something in the back end that was causing this. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Um, yeah, so sorry, go ahead. I wasn't sure if you if you had anything to go on off of what I said about the Berlin and Austin ramps and stuff, raw material going down. Yeah, I mean, that's the big thing. And you hear everybody really talking about demand and cutting prices. And you don't hear a lot of people actually talking about the cost side of the equation. So that's really the big debate is how much of this is cost savings, cost reductions, efficiencies as they ramp, and how much of that is just them cutting prices because that's what they have to do to grow. So we're going to find out the answer tomorrow after debating it for months and months and months. And I think this is going to become, it's going to bring a lot of clarity to the discussion, the debate around advertising and all this stuff. I mean, seeing where the gross margin falls you really haven't seen a lot of discussion about a lot of these things that are happening at Tesla that could be positive for the margins. Like for example, Tesla now for the first time is listing a $50,000 Model Y standard range with 4680 cells made in Austin in the factory. Now this obviously means that 4680 is ramping. As it ramps, it's gonna become much less of a money loser and more of something that is actually going to be a margin booster. Because instead of paying that margin to Panasonic or CATL, they're making the cells themselves in-house, they're saving on shipping those cells, and they're just putting them into the car right there. They're not even putting a floor on the car because the structural pack is the floor. Similarly, you know, Austin and Berlin at low volumes, they were just losing tons of money. Just like the new Rivian factory and the new Lucid factory and the new legacy auto factories all lose money, Berlin and Austin were losing money. Now they're getting above 4,000, 5,000 units a week. They're going to expand to, you know, 10,000 units a week, probably over the next 12 months. And that's going to flip them from actually being a headwind on margins. I think in one of the recent earnings calls, uh, Zach Kirkhorn, the CFO said, 
we would have hit 30% automotive gross margin if it weren't for Berlin and Austin ramping. So as those factories get into more meaningful volumes, they're going to have the best margins out of any factory, better than Shanghai, better than Fremont, because they're building these cars with this entirely new process with the large castings that involves less capex, less cost. So it's actually going to be you know, very positive. And they're only building Model Y, which costs less to make and sells for more. You don't necessarily see that on the production and deliveries breakdown. They group them together as three and Y. But as Berlin and Austin ramp, you're going to see a lot more Model Y. And they're able to sell into the European market with less shipping cost. You don't have to ship it from China. You can just sell right there into the local market. That's why they've been dominating. Um, you may have higher FSD sales also boosting margins. That's a much higher margin than the car. And you've also seen commodity prices fall, lithium. I don't know if that's necessarily going to translate in this quarter, but it is encouraging. And you're seeing a lot of the inflationary pressures, like, for example, shipping bottlenecks and stuff like that reduce. And more than that, I'm sure Tesla has been working with their suppliers and telling them, hey, why don't you try and bring down the cost of this part so we can lower our price? And we're actually going to then order more. We're going to order 2 million instead of 1.5 million. And your, your company is actually going to make more money ultimately. So I'm sure all of these things and more are playing out. Um, I don't think they're just sort of cutting prices out of desperation. A lot of people don't realize that the prices are still higher than they were pre-pandemic, right? Model 3 standard range was $38,000. Now it's 42. So can they not make money at 42? I'm not convinced that they can. Um, but really, it's sort of all speculation. We can speculate that all of these things had a benefit, but really until they drop the numbers at uh, after the closing bell tomorrow, we're not really going to be able to know how where exactly it falls. So uh, we'll have to see, I guess. Yeah, I just, you know, those are all great points. I, I, I just have such a hard time sort of wrapping my head around the concept that Berlin and Austin ramping with the latest generation lines with experience from your failings and your successes with Tom Zhu, who is uh, the guy who made Shanghai go up in record time with, uh, you know, with record, basically the, the, the highest producing factory in all of the entire Tesla network. Uh, that that somehow is not good for costs. Like I just have a very <laughs> hard time wrapping my head around that, right? So that's number one. And and of course, like the, the conversation is okay. Well, what, how big of an impact is that? Like how big of an impact is that? But it seems kind of big, right? Because to your point, Berlin and Austin, both of them at full ramp are going to be likely half ish of Tesla's total production before Shanghai gets to 2 million. So let's call it somewhere between 30 and 50%, depending on where they are on the ramp. That's a very significant part of the equation. And then with Model Y being um, Tesla's best-selling car by far in 2023, up through the compact car launching, that's likely going to be the case. And it's also likely to be, to your point, not just the highest margin car that they produce, not just one of the highest margin car cars that they produce, but the likely the highest margin car they produce, especially Absolutely. in places where it's produced in China and shipped to Europe. Like you have these forces that are starting to take hold that are great for margin. And so, you know, what percentage of the price decrease is related to the passing on the cost savings and what percentage of the price decreases is related to moving from 1.3 million units per year to 2 million units per year and 3 million units per year. And with the 
sort of the way the stock market behaves, it's just it's just a, such a short term beast <laughs> when it's yeah. short term. I feel like that gets lost so easily because it's like, well, you know, it's supposed to be 22 percent margin. It was 21 <laughs> or it's supposed to be 26, but it's 25. So stock goes down 20 percent. Right. It's right. it's hard to separate noise from signal in these environments. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're exactly right. And let's not forget the products themselves have actually been redesigned to be lower cost. For example, we've seen them take out the radar. We've seen them take out the 12 ultrasonics. All of these things have costs, not just the cost of buying the ultrasonic sensors, the cost of adding an extra production step, paying that worker to sit on the line and put those sensors in to test those sensors. You've got a software engineer, a firmware engineer in the back end who's integrating those things. All of these things add up. Things like, for example, the, you know, the passenger lumbar on the 3NY, the you know, the brakes, the things like that, they've made changes to these products that have actually made them a lot more efficient to make. We've seen those leaks of the new Model 3, which, by the way, I think looks totally sexy. I can't wait to see them unveil that. But from what we've heard, the rumor is that it's using at least the same rear underbody casting as the Model Y. So now they're going to be moving a lot of those Model Y efficiencies over to the Model 3 as well. Um, so they're not just sitting still and saying, oh, no, the economy is bad. We got to cut the prices. This is a company that's you know, been innovating for years to bring the cost down and down. And I think you really hit the nail on the head with the stock market being so short term focused. And it's really just about, OK, what's the gross margin? Is it 20 or 25 percent or is it 30 percent this quarter in Q1? And nobody's really thinking about the fact that what matters for Tesla is to dominate the market, to kill ICE, right? I mean, that's just so myopic to say what matters is really making 25% versus 20% rather than long-term convincing everybody that, oh, wow, why would I buy anything other than an EV? Because it's a lower monthly payment and then I save on fuel and then I save on maintenance. They're doing the exact same thing. I mean, this is the mission, accelerate every accelerate to sustainable energy. And some people think that the mission and profits are actually incompatible, but they're actually not. Because if you can accelerate the transition to sustainable energy, if you get everybody buying electric cars, using clean energy, then who profits more than anybody from that transition? It's Tesla because Tesla is the clean energy and transport company. So they can sell you know, a record number of cars at lower prices. They can spread the word through word of mouth. And they can also, I think, make record profits. I mean, we were talking about FSD you know, privately in the DMs, and this is going to completely change the way that people use cars. Right now, it's still relatively early. It's still relatively basic. But the way it's trending, it's going to be able to drive better than a human. And so as that happens, I think the whole business model around cars is going to change. It's actually a Trojan horse to sell them a relatively affordable car. And then you get them hooked on these software services where you're really making a much higher margin. So I don't think it's incompatible at all. I think you could see Tesla really bring down prices not just with the Model 3 and Y, but with the next-gen platform that's going to be made in Mexico and elsewhere, and continuing to push the price down while actually posting record margins of, I think, between 30 and 
it sounds crazy, but if you look at FSD, it's and other software services like insurance and stuff like that, it's actually not that crazy. Um, they have a pretty good path to not only making the products more affordable, but actually increasing their profits at the same time. Yeah, it's that's such a great point. I, I often think about how, um, you know, Tesla's high profit margins on their vehicles at, at this scale and the millions of cars per year, it's almost like an accidental thing that Tesla has stumbled upon, which is a sort of marriage of Tesla's ability to create a very unique product that's uh, significantly better than the competition and the competition saying, eh, not yet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, basically. It's, it's like, it's kind of weird, right? And so that's why they've been able to command these, you know, up to 30, 32%, whatever th th their peak was on the gross margin. And so it's a result of that. And I think the investing community, you know, right or wrong, whatever the dynamic is, I think they, they've, uh, they've become very comfortable with the idea that Tesla... Uh, sh could and should be able to generate 25, 30% margins. And so, and I wonder how much of that dynamic is sort of given birth to the ideas around, well, Tesla has to keep its brand prestige and they have to retain really high margins. This is how they do it. And they have to advertise to retain those high margins because, you know, uh, it's, it, otherwise, you know, it doesn't make any sense to lower the cost of the car. It has to be done this way. But it's, you know, and I get that. Like, I, listen, it is investing. This is the stock market and profits are profits. And in the end, if you're a public company and you're going to sell your stock, you have to take care of your investors. I get it. Like, I'm not saying this is good or bad. I'm just sort of making a commentary on the dynamic. But what's very interesting about the point you just made is that you can have your cake and eat it too, in a sense, in a sense, because flooding the market at volume is what will enable you to turn on the switch on the software that nobody else has and lowering the cost unless you know i'm thinking about this incorrectly you tell me this you know how you're thinking about this that seems like the best way to get your product in the in the market so that when you turn on the software side it's like all of a sudden you have billions of dollars coming in at 100 percent margin and elon's talked about this openly right so if that's such a fascinating time in the companies in the companies like history arc, you know, it's it's like this transitional period. Would, would you agree? It feels like a transitional period today. Absolutely. I think the very nature of what this product is, of how people get around, it's changing profoundly in a way that sort of mimics other technology revolutions. I mean, if you look at sort of the early days of the phone industry, you had a situation where you would get the phone for free just to sell the service, right? And often today, you know, you get the phone subsidized by the carrier as well. So they're willing to do that. They're willing to buy you a $1,000 phone because they know that it's going to keep you subscribed, paying every month for the expensive data service because you can't use the phone without that data service, right? But, you know, it, it kind of brings you back to the original iPhone when it launched it was $600 and people said, hey, um, this is way too expensive for a phone. Phones were given away for free back then. And then when they came out with the iPhone 3G and they said, this is gonna be available for 199 carrier subsidized. That was when things just took off, right? And you have to remember, it was actually a very similar situation to today. The iPhone launched in 2007. By 2008, 2009, we were deep into a recession. So hitting that affordability really mattered. And it's what made the iPhone such a success today. Now, once people were hooked onto the iPhone, 
Apple was able to actually come up with a strategy where they had several different phones where you could get the base phone pretty cheap for, I think they've got the base phone for $400 or something, or you can go all the way up to the pro, the top end for a thousand dollars. So it didn't actually compromise their ability to sell products at the high end. And now they're, they've got a variety of products at that spectrum. And it's a similar thing for Tesla, you know, sort of pushing affordability and getting the products out there. It may give you a short hit in gross margins in the short term, but it's going to give you the ability to continue growing, to continue being the number one volume EV manufacturer in the world, rather than surrendering that title to BYD or somebody else who goes lower cost. And ultimately it's gonna serve them well. I mean, like the Tesla cult, right? That's what people always say, the Tesla cult. People get in these Teslas and they go, oh my God, I love this thing. I wanna buy another one. I need to get one for my wife. I need to try FSD. I need to get Tesla insurance. I wanna get a Tesla shirt. Hey, let me get some solar for my house. So, you know, or you, just a you, bunch of cultists, Omar. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you get the products, you love them. You tend to buy another one. You tend to tell your friends, right? So it's a very powerful thing, just making them affordable and uh, getting the word out there and just making it so competitive with a Toyota Camry that it just makes no sense to buy a Toyota Camry. It's just a very financially poor decision. And I think that's a very powerful thing. And it's only going to increase. I mean, with this next generation platform that Tesla is making in Mexico, I think we could really see them get a product out at twenty to $25,000. And at that point, maybe you can actually refocus the Model 3 and the Model Y on being a more premium product. Because right now, the Model 3 and the Model Y are the entry-level product. So it actually makes sense to expand a little downward, start tapping into more of that mainstream market. And then as the next gen platform comes in, that can come in as the entry level model. Then you could maybe add more features to the three and Y designed to be sort of higher end, um, take advantage of the premium nature of those products uh, and sort of, you know, have your cake and eat it too that way. People who can't afford anything but the, the cheapest model, they'll get that. And the people who have a little more to spend, they'll go for, you know, some of those extra features that might be in the three and Y at the time. You hit something there that I, I still feel is not uh, well understood by by some folks is that the the volume piece of it, it seems like Tesla and maybe BYD, you know, one could make the argument, uh, they're really the only ones that are able and have the capacity to make electric vehicles at scale, meaning yeah. in the millions of units in the upcoming year or two. Nobody else has that capability. And so that's that's the one variable. And then the second variable is doing so profitably, right? Yeah. In the sort of in the um cut like the arc of auto manufacturing, the affordable cars, the affordable anything, forget auto manufacturing with really anything. The the high volume stuff is usually the low margin stuff, right? The TVs, you know, you make a, a trillion TVs a year. It's like 1% margin or whatever that margin is. Toyota Corolla ain't making 20% margin. That thing's making like 2%, 3% margin, <laughs> right? Uh, and the Kia Soul might make half a percent of margin, whatever that is. But that's that's sort of the dynamic. It's hard enough to make something that's mass market. Then you have to make a mass market so that people like it. And then you have to make a mass market so you can actually make money on it. And I just, I feel like people still don't understand that Tesla is the only one that has all three. <laughs> they can do 
all of those things right now, today. And I wonder if that's, um, you know, I guess there, there is a, uh, a little bit of faith that has to be put on the company to be able to execute that because it's just one of those things that's never been done before. And I, it's extremely difficult. It's definitely not a given. But I think uh, with the company's sort of reputation and how they've been able to execute in the past with super lofty goals that seemed impossible, I wonder if that is just being completely dismissed and it's more about, well, show me first and then I'll give you credit for it kind of thing. Whereas maybe folks that are close to the story assume that as a given because of what the company has achieved thus far. How, how do you think about that? Because I'm curious to take your, your thoughts. Like, do you feel like the Tesla's ability to execute is discounted still to this day? How do you think about that? I do think it's underappreciated the position of competitive strength that Tesla's in. Tesla is really the only company in the world that is making money on pure electric vehicles. I mean, BYD is a little bit profitable, but about 50% of their volume is plug-in hybrids. So my guess would be that most, if not all of the profits are coming from the plug-in hybrids and the BEVs are probably money losers, which is why their profit margin comes up pretty thin. Um, but, you know, I think they're headed in the right direction, certainly. Ford has report, reported an EBIT margin on their EV business of negative 40%. So this is a big deal. When you can make money selling an EV, you want to sell as many as possible because the more you sell, the more money you make. When you're losing money on EVs, you don't want to make any. And that's why you have GM making two Hummer EVs last quarter. That's why you have... Hell yeah. <laughs> that's why you have Ford selling even fewer EVs than GM, if you can believe that. And the reason is because they're losing money on every one. And Ford had a posted a net loss of $2 billion last year. Jim Farley said, hey, look, I'm frustrated. Investors are frustrated. You're heading into a recession. Interest rates are high. It's not really a time where you want to invest into making tons and tons of EVs that you're losing money on. I, you know, Ford makes $10,000 on the F-150 gas-powered version on, that they typically sell. Uh, for, they sell it for about $50,000 on average. They make about $10,000 in gross profit. Now, on the electric side, they sell that same truck for, you know, $40,000 was the price they originally offered it at. Now it's significantly higher than that. But they sell it at a, at a lower price in some cases, and they actually lose $20,000 on it. So why would you want to take a product that you're making $10,000 on and say, hey, buy this electric version instead? where we're gonna lose $20,000. So it's a big issue. They're all coming out and saying, hey, we're all in on EVs because they don't wanna look like they're being left behind. But it really masks the reality that there's an enormous amount of work to do before you can make a good EV that people like and actually sell it profitably and produce it. Yeah. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So. Let's let's ask the million dollar question. What do you think is going to happen tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Elon seems to be in a good mood. He said it's going to be fun. So I always like when people's expectations are low. I like when people are writing the company off and they're saying, oh, it's over. They're never going to make any money again. Because that's when it's really easy to surprise them. 
And mm. yeah, underestimating Tesla is never really a good idea. I think they'll have some surprises, some interesting announcements for us. I think the financials will come out to not be a bloodbath. Um, I think it's actually going to be healthy. Uh, and I think people will be surprised by probably how healthy it is. You've also got energy. I mean, Lathrop, you know, before they only really had a small mega pack production facility in Nevada. Now they're really investing in making mega packs with Lathrop. They're going to be building a new mega pack factory in Shanghai. I think you're going to see energy earnings. They're actually growing faster than the auto business already, just in terms of energy deliveries and energy financials. So that's obviously going to boost the net margin of the company. I think that's going to be very positive. Um, and I think they've got some great things in the work. I mean, my dream would be if they said, hey, we've got this new Model 3. It's going to be up for order now. And it's got hardware for. I'm really waiting for that to order it. it. It's looking like it's probably going to be more of a Q3 thing. But a surprise like that could be very well received. And, you know, Tesla's always got a few tricks up its sleeve. We've also heard that, you know, Cybertruck is now getting closer to production. It could go into production as soon as next quarter. I mean, we've been waiting for this thing forever. It's the most significant new Tesla vehicle since, since the Model 3 in 2017, really. So this is going to be a huge new product. And I'm sure we'll get some more details on that in the call as well. Um, FSD, I'm really excited to hear any update on FSD miles driven the number of users, any sort of milestones they can share there. Uh, them now, even later today, launching 11.4. This is the first time they're really releasing FSD to everybody. So, I mean, it's possibly the biggest moment in the history of the company. So many people are just writing Tesla off, not realizing that they're going through a major transition. I mean, this is a whole new Tesla with the Model Y 4680 structural pack, batteries made by Tesla, running FSD. I mean, this is a completely different Tesla product than has ever existed before. And uh, it's really going to change the company, I think. That's great. I, I, I think the backdrop of this earnings, it also has a sort of, um, you know, think about the rest of the auto market. Think about oh, what GM, Ford, uh, Toyota, Volkswagen, all these car, or all these companies are are going up against. You know, all the data that I'm seeing coming, especially in the United States, you're having a lot of reports of uh, blown out dealer lots. You have uh, a lot of concerns around the affordability of vehicles. Just straight up lack of anything that's under 20,000, 25, even $30,000. You can't find a freaking Toyota under $30,000 nowadays, right? So th there's an affordable, affordable affordability crisis. You have less sales out of car makers, and then um, you have lots that are full. And so I think th that thing combined, I wonder what Tesla's earnings is going to look uh, in comparison to the to the rest of one of the things that they play in, which is auto, because there nobody else plays in energy, and nobody else really plays in self-driving technology, right? So I wonder if if that's going to start coming to the forefront with this first quarter earnings from all the automakers. It might take another quarter potentially, but I think that's a fascinating one to follow. I think the valuation of the company 
uh, perhaps is not very dependent on everybody else, uh, you know, obviously, but I do think there are, there are signals that we can get from the competitions, so-called competition that might say, Hey, you know, maybe there's not this fear of pricing pressure that y'all would so were so worried about because these guys literally can't make anything profitably and they, their <laughs> money making businesses are collapsing right before our eyes. Right. So that's going to be a very fascinating sort of thing to track. And I wonder if Tesla will get some sort of credit for that. Um, I do think for, for me specifically, what I'm looking at, like what, what I'm looking for from the earnings is uh, how much guidance can they give on the cost savings they're going to be able to achieve from the raw material uh, costs starting to come down in line with pre-pandemic levels and the uh, ramps of Berlin and Austin and Shanghai, let's you know, let's say with the addition, uh, the additional building they're building out there, just so, some sort of a uh, idea of how these things can progress and how these things are locked in tandem with their ability to continually drop price over and over and over again, to become one of the very few car makers in the in, in the near future that's going to be able to uh, uh, offer an affordable car. Period. <laughs> Forget an EV, an affordable yeah. car. Period. You know. Yeah, I mean. Things really aren't looking good for Legacy Auto. If you look at some of these stories, you really go, man, interest rates are high. You've seen GM actually shutting down production because they have too much inventory built up. The dealers are losing it. I mean, we've come out of this crazy situation in the pandemic where prices were just going up and up and up and up. And Tesla is really sort of fighting that in a major way by saying, hey, it's time to stop this. We're going to go in the opposite direction. While everybody else was still raising prices in Q1 for cars, we're actually going to go lower and really sort of go for the jugular. I mean, this is such an insane competitive move. The competitors can't even make money at, on their EVs at the old higher prices. And every time Tesla has some increased efficiencies, every time they cut the price a few thousand bucks, it's just another you know, kick in the face to legacy auto. It's just really tough for them, right? <laughs> I mean, they couldn't even make money before and it just gets harder and harder the more efficient Tesla gets. So, I mean, they're in a pretty challenging position. They're very behind on EVs. And if you look at some of these regulations, like for example, the Biden administration just unveiled these new fuel economy standards that they're going to put into place. And it's getting more and more expensive to make a nice car. At the time when EVs are getting cheaper and cheaper, ICE is getting more and more expensive because they're putting in laws all across the world that are saying, hey, you actually need to release less than this amount of emissions. And so they have to often install filters or more expensive equipment um, or a hybrid battery or something like that to get that emissions down. Or they have to buy regulatory credits from Tesla. And this is, you know, people sometimes say, ah, regulatory credits, that's not real, but it's very real money. It's literally legacy auto paying Tesla for polluting too much. And this is another thing that I think looks set to grow and could possibly sort of uh, shoulder some of the gross margin impact from the price cuts. And it's only gonna increase over time. As EVs become cheaper and cheaper, the only reason we don't have stricter limits on pollution is because people don't have another way to get around. So like if you're a poor person, you need a car. So you can't tax it overly that it's going to get too expensive. 
But if there's a really cheap alternative that doesn't pollute, if there's EVs, then you're going to see governments around the world make limits on pollution stricter and stricter and stricter over time, making ice more and more and more expensive at the same time that EVs get cheaper and cheaper every year. Dude, that, that, um, that's such a good point. It's, I still think people might not grasp the fact that Tesla makes somewhere around a billion dollars, maybe more in ZEF credits per year uh, from automakers. So they are literally paying for Tesla's factories every single year, every single <laughs> right. year. You know, it's wild. I mean, you remember that story? It was like Giga Berlin was actually paid for by Stellantis or something. Yeah, yeah, like 1.6 billion or something. I forget what the yeah. number was. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's yeah, wild. they paid the whole cost. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what I mean, fate loves irony. The factories that are destroying their business, they paid to build them with regulatory credits. Wow. Yeah. I mean, what a what a scenario. <laughs> Completely fascinating stuff. Yeah, and and it's like the momentum's not stopping either. I think the 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 affordable car equation uh, gets lost in this context because of I think folks traditionally have looked at Tesla as such a uh, luxury brand, you know, quote unquote, and just a company that caters to the high end, that the sort of low end part of the segment is completely lost, but is very much in lockstep with Tesla's overall mission statement of advancing the, the avenue of trans sustainable transport. And, and last time I checked, that's still on their website, you know? So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy stuff, crazy stuff. Full, full self-driving is one of those things that you obviously have very uh a very intimate relationship with you're one of the og testers you've been doing this for a long time you're based out of the california region you make incredible content around full self-driving um yeah talk to maybe talk to us a little bit about what your overall experience has been just being a beta tester um you know seeing it sort of evolve from where you had it to where it is now um, and then for those on YouTube that are not familiar with Omar, whole Mars catalog, you can find them on, on Twitter. We'll make sure we post a link in the comment section below. Uh, he, he, what, what's your uh, description? You're a part-time Tesla, part-time uh, shitty <laughs> comedian or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you got it. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think, I mean, FSD has been just really incredible to watch progress. Um, when we, we met Elon in 2020 and did an interview with him at uh, one of the houses he had at the time. It was owned by Willy Wonka. Um, I mean, not Willy Wonka, the actor who plays him. Gene Wilder. Yeah. He, yes, Gene Wilder. <laughs> and um, so, you know, I was asking him about FSD, I think, when we were arranging it. And he said, okay, well, you know, I'll, I'll get you access to the early sort of dev build as soon as we put it out. And I said, oh, hell yeah. And then later that year in October, he actually made good on the promise when they started releasing FSD out. I think I was maybe one of the first 200 people to try it. And I remember just getting that phone call from the autopilot team and someone called me and they said, hey, look, we're going to push the FSD beta to your car. And I said, fuck yeah, let's go. This is yeah. October, 2020. And he said, Look, just be careful because it's a little bit crazy, okay? This isn't like normal autopilot. It can do a lot of things, a lot of the rules that autopilot has, like don't turn the wheel too much. It doesn't have those. So it can do really crazy things. I said, don't worry. I've been using autopilot forever. I've seen some shit. I'm ready for it. And they said, okay, great. So we'll send it to you. 
And so they sent it out to my car. I was in LA at the time and I turned it on and it immediately sharply turned the wheel and dove towards a row of parked cars. And my passenger who was in the car with me, she started screaming. She's like, ah, and I disengaged. And so that was the first time I turned it on. I said, okay. And good first I, experience. And then I centered it in the lane. I turned it on again and it drove forward. You know, it could barely drive straight at the time. It was like going like right and left. Like it was a mess. And then it made, you know, a right turn. And then it made a left turn. And it was the first time I'd ever seen my car make a right turn or a left turn by myself. And I was like, just completely blown away. And I was like, wow, it really works. This is huge. Even though now in retrospect, I can see how shitty it was. It was amazing. I was using it all the time, even though it was very, very low quality compared to what we have today. And yeah, over the last almost three years now, um, it's April, you know, October will be three years. So it's about two years and six months. And now it's starting to actually work to the point where back then it was, it was a surprise if you had a zero takeover drive, they were very rare. You know, you'd have one maybe like once a month or something. If it was like really simple, easy drive and you got lucky, then you'd be like, oh my God, I had a zero takeover drive. I can't believe it. Now it's like, you're almost starting to expect it and you get angry when there is an issue, at least for me. So the software has progressed a lot, but I mean, we're still at the very early days. I think the people who've experienced it can start to imagine that like, this is going to completely change the way we use our cars. It's going to completely change the nature of this product. I mean, it won't even be a car as you know it anymore. It's more just like a robot whose back you can sit on and ride around, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of like when, you know, the computer came and replaced typewriters um, and it just added so much more value where the phone came and was replaced by the smartphone. And yeah, our phones still make calls, but you don't normally make a call. I might send you a picture or send you a text message, or I might just like your tweet, right? There's so many more ways to communicate now rather than just using the phone to actually make a phone call, it completely changed the way we interact with each other. And it's the same type of disruption in the car. It's not gonna be something you get in and you use the controls anymore and you're pushing buttons. A car in the future is gonna be something that maybe you don't even have to own and you just get in, you tell it where you wanna go and it takes you there. So the very nature of this product is changing in a really dramatic way. And I think it's just incredible to see the auto industry is facing really three massive disruptions at the same time. Number one, electrification. I mean, this alone is huge, changing the internal combustion engine to batteries. This is a massive change for the industry. But at the same time, really in order to enable that, you have the software defined car. Everything in the car being defined by software, being updatable. This is a major, major change for the automakers. They don't know how to do that. And then on top of that, you have autonomy also happening at the same time. So I think each one of these disruptions could tackle, it could topple a company that's been around for 100 years easily. All three happening at the same time. I mean, this is kind of an unprecedented, 
unprecedented scenario in business. I don't think anybody's ever seen something quite like this. And people roll their eyes about it a little bit because we've been working on self-driving and working on electrification and working on these things for so long. But there's insane amounts of progress happening. EVs are catching on. They're winning. Autonomous cars are entering the streets. I mean, it's not uncommon at all to see robo-taxis in San Francisco. They're all over the place. Um, and I, I don't think people quite yet appreciate how much these things are going to completely change the way they live every day. I agree 100%. I think the the light bulb moment went, went off for me with the latest version 11 that, that we received. Uh, so one of the things I've been doing with my series is I, I do wife tests. So the producer wife gets <laughs> in the car with me. And then uh, we, we go around and the earlier versions. So before I even started doing the videos where I what I got her brave enough to be like, hey, do you want to freak out on camera? She's like, hell no. <laughs> so the first few versions were me just going around and having a kind of like, a, you know, OK, it's not working here, but I can see how I can get there. It's not working here, but I can see how I can get there. And then, you know, once it got good enough to where I was able to, you know, uh, my wife agree with me to come on the ride alongs, she, uh, you know, we capture sort of her a reaction to the car as like sort you know not a tesla nerd like we are and not super embedded in the world but kind of understands what's going on and getting like a very honest take from somebody who is not close to the development of the on the software it's like yeah I, I could see this kind of happening in 10 years and then it was like you know i could see this happening in five years and it's like you know what this could happen in like a in like a year or two yeah and now with the latest versions it's like yeah why can't this happen like like by the end of the year like this seems like it's there and it's like that that comfort level is something that is um, it's come faster than I expected it, you know, because it's, it's two uh, to me, it's two different equations. The, the safety thing is one thing that Tesla has to solve for, which is get you from point A to point B as, comf as, as safely as humanly possible. And I want to make sure I don't hit anything or, or uh, put anybody else in danger. So that's one equation. Then the second equation is, Make sure that the people in the car trust you that you're going to do that thing because those two are very, very different, right? Because the behavior of the car in certain spots feels inhuman, but it could be very safe. And now I'm at the point where, you know, when my wife and I are not even driving along anymore, we're riding along while this car is taking us places. We're both like, this is kind of weird. You know, it's like it's just <laughs> we're just chilling in the car, having a conversation, the car's driving us around. And of course, granted, our roads aren't like, you know, they're not like San Francisco, you know, but you're having great drives out there. And they're not mm -hmm. like the Northeast where it's like a mess of roads and it's craziness. I know there's still work to, to do there. But for for most of, our, of the use cases in America, it seems like self-driving technology is kind of it's like it has some corner cases to go through, but it's 100 percent solvable. And then. And then you're like, okay, but who else can do this? And you're like, wow, it doesn't seem like, you know, Cruz and Waymo can't really go on highways. They have to map every single every single uh, city that they're in. Anytime there's road work, they're going to have trouble navigating through it as we've seen it. It's tough to scale because you have to learn every single nook and cranny of the world. Then you also have to make these very expensive cars that probably cost $200,000, $250,000 per car to build out with all these sensors. So like, And then you're like, wow, holy shit. So I'm already being driven around for the last two weeks. This is kind of crazy. And you, know, you can conceptually think about it. But then once you experience it, it becomes real. It feels real. And that's been very eye-opening for me in the last two weeks because it, 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 it 
proves out that I do I do really do think that Tesla's approach to this thing is the correct one. And the fact that I've essentially stopped driving for the last couple of weeks, I think it's proof. I think it's proof that that's the case. They just need a little bit more time to get the the things ironed out that they need to get ironed out. You know, it's, it's just yeah. a weird time to be alive. Yeah, I mean, self-driving has to be the hardest software problem ever attempted. Because with software, you can test it against things. But with self-driving, every situation, every drive is unique. No drive will ever happen the same exact way twice. So the software needs to handle everything. And it really is one of those things where you have to see it to believe it. You have to see it working on your own car to really believe that it's even possible. And there have been so many people who've even I've posted a video, but they say, I don't believe it. It's not working for me yet. So how could it possibly be working for you? You know, there's something going on here or something. And then when they experience it themselves, it then clicks. It's like, oh, okay, this is something that's actually happening. Um, and you see it get more and more human-like over time. It's sort of surprising each time uh, that it is. So really, I think this is going to be something where it's going to just start to far exceed our capabilities, far exceed our perception. Um, you, I've already started noticing it, you know, noticing people or things or traffic lights, for example, faster than I do. Like the light turns green, it starts noticing before I notice it's green. The light turns yellow, it starts slowing before I noticed. It notices a pedestrian before I notice them, right? Like one time there was somebody crossing, they were right in my sort of A-pillar area. So they were blocked, I couldn't see them. But the car stopped, I said, why is it stopped? And then I saw the person come out. And I said, oh, wow, okay. So even in this very basic state, you're seeing it already start to exceed humans in some cases. And it's getting to a level of comfort where if you don't tell people it's on, in many cases, they don't even notice that anything's different. It feels human enough that it can sort of pass the Turing test uh, you know, of autonomy, as, I call, as you might call it. So this is, you know, really sort of interesting. I think people really underestimated the difference between 99% and 100%. How much usefulness there is once it gets past 90%, 99%, even though it's not to 100% yet. And really, Tesla is unique in its production capabilities. While everybody else is still in the lab, they're figuring this out. Tesla is making millions of these things around the world. They're going to make, you know, around 2 million this year. And now they're building another factory in Mexico that's going to add millions of more units. So even if Waymo and Cruz really figured it out, how are they going to get millions of cars out there and starting to perform rides in a meaningful way? Meanwhile, Tesla is actually preventing crashes every day. This is really underappreciated. I mean, you can see some of these videos that Andre Karpathy shares of say the active safety features where someone's walking and it stops. Someone's trying to drive into a lake and it says, hey, that's a lake, I'm gonna stop it. So it's really powerful to keep, to put these features into cars today versus you know, what Waymo and Cruise are doing. And it's really just hard to see who's gonna figure out mass production of automated vehicles before Tesla. I think if you don't, it, depending on whether you believe in autonomy or not, 
Tesla may or may not, like, if you don't believe in autonomy, what Tesla's doing really makes no sense. But if you do believe that autonomy is inevitable, and it's clear to me now that it is inevitable. I've ridden in driverless cars. I use FSD beta every day. It's happening. It's just a matter of when, not if that's debatable. So if you really believe in autonomy, it really changes the way you look at Tesla. And a lot of the things they do start to make more sense. Yeah, it almost seems like one of the dynamics I, I expect to uh, happen this year is that as as Tesla continues to make more and more improvements on the version 11 stack, uh, which seems that to be happening more often than 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 the other versions. And I think having it under one stack really enabled, and I, you may have been the first one that I've heard say this, is like um, not having to worry about multiple stacks is going to allow Tesla to actually iterate on the stack that matters instead of trying to figure out how to marry the two things, like the multiple things and, and working all, right, of, yeah. all of it on parallel. Now you can focus everything on one. So like the, your iteration should become quicker and quicker. And then plus your highway data, I'm sure it's going to be very helpful for the city data and vice versa, right? So you get the mm -hmm. sort of scaling effect by exactly. opening up the stack to everything. So I wonder if this dynamic is going to sort of start happening this year where folks that are on FSD beta, as more and more regions get to the place where say yours and eyes are at, where we're like, yeah, this is obviously going to happen. It's just like a matter of when, and it seems really, really close. They're not that far. Uh, I wonder if that's going to create a dynamic where Tesla FSD drivers are going to be like, they we're going to hear bigger and bigger chorus of like, yeah, it's working great in my area. Like this, of course it's going to happen. Yeah, of course it's going to happen. And then nobody who's to your point, like has access to this directly. They're be like, you're crazy. You're like, what the hell? This is never going to happen. And then the course is going to grow and grow and grow and grow. Kind of like, you know, back in 2012, 2013 days or 2018, 2019 days where everybody's like, of course, they're going to become profitable. Although, of course, they're going to have the best margins. <laughs> of course, they're going to get it to half a million a year. So now I feel like it's the early stages of like real world examples of, of course, full self-driving is going to get solved. Of course, they're going to be able to recognize the revenue. Of course, they're going to be the only ones because they have the scale, right? Um, I don't know. Do, do you think that's going to be what's going to happen this year? Like, where would you put the timeline of this thing actually becoming like really robo-taxi? Like, how do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a billion dollar business for Tesla, uh, in 2022, I think a lot of people sort of miss that. Waymo and Cruise and the others are burning a billion dollars a year. They're making a billion dollars a year. And I think it's going to grow significantly. I mean, this is starting to work. It's being released for the first time. This is the most significant moment in Tesla's history. It's bigger than the Roadster. It's bigger than the Model S. It's bigger than the Model 3 and the Model Y. I mean, this is you know, it's more disruptive than EVs, what they're doing. Having this AI that can move around the world, that can uh, drive the cars, it's, it's really a powerful capability, not just for the cars, but for robotics and other applications as well. I mean, this is like a groundbreaking real world AI that they've developed. I think that business alone is probably a trillion dollar business. Forget the cars and everything else just what they can make on FSD. So it's about a billion dollars revenue right now. And I think it's going to be a trillion dollars. I think we're, you know, just a year or two away from starting to see 
the first driverless applications and Teslas. Having used a few driverless applications from other vendors, it's clear that you can do it if you just limit it enough. So I think Tesla with map hints and some modification, they could run a driverless service in a small area today. But really, I think in the next one to two years, they're going to be able to create something really unique, which is a robotaxi service that can truly work anywhere. No pre-mapping needed. It can actually go everywhere you want to go. And that's a big deal compared to some of these other alternatives that are driverless, but really restrict where you can go to the point where it's useless. Cruise, for example, only runs from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. and it only goes certain places and only travels certain routes. This is going to be really unique in that you're going to be able to go anywhere. And nobody else is really building a product quite like it. Um, it's much, much, much harder to do autonomy without HD maps, without LiDAR. Um, but the benefit is that you can do it in a generalized way. So I think this is largely being ignored. Most of the people who are analyzing the company, most of Wall Street, they've sort of written this off because they said, oh, okay, this isn't serious. They said a million robo-taxis by 2020, it's 2023, so whatever. But the reality is they're making a billion dollars doing this while everybody else is losing a billion dollars. It's actually a lot like their EV business in that way. Great point. That's a phenomenally good point. That's such a good. That's such a good way of putting it. <laughs> look at <laughs> look at GM's earnings and see how much money they're making on their autonomy business. Right. That's I've never thought about it that way. Well, actually, they're losing two um, billion a year. That's crazy. Right. That's <laughs> such a good way of putting it. I think I think that's it's one of those dynamics where like ambition gets punished for some reason, right? And you know, like um, now, all, you know, granted, Elon hasn't helped himself by. You know, say ready, you know, ro- you know, point to point or uh, cross country trip autonomously by 2018, 2019, 2020. I get it. But it's like, you know, I think given the track record of the company and his achievements, I think it's it's I think he uh, deserves the benefit of the doubt from being coming from the standpoint of ambition and not so much of misleading. Right. And I think that's one sort of thing that is perhaps lost around this story. And that's why there's maybe a whole thing is like, okay, yeah, sure. Full self-driving. You've How often have you brought it up? And I think he's been open about how, you know, he's been very ambitious with those timelines. But it's, you know, I think it's to the benefit, not financial advice, to folks that are following the company that uh, maybe that dynamic is what opens up opportunity for uh, people saying, you know what, I could see this happening. And so that dynamic is giving me a, an opportunity to come into the stock at a cheaper price versus where it could be if this thing comes to fruition. And of course, people have to do their own research and they shouldn't be listening to me. But it's almost like that that dynamic could be a blessing in disguise to capitalize on the on the opportunity. I don't know. You know, I don't know if you agree with yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it very well could be. And I think just sort of looking at the results, you know, they've been able to achieve something that nobody else has getting a product like this out there. And a big part of that is sort of being aggressive. You know, you can laugh and say, ha well, they didn't get it done. But of course, nobody's actually done it before. So when you're doing something that's never been done before, it can be sort of challenging to predict, you know, how long it's going to take exactly. But I mean, that's the beautiful thing about Tesla and about Elon is that they are optimistic and they say, hey, let's do this. Let's give it a shot. And 
That's how they were able to deliver results while everybody who shrugged and said it's not possible, they weren't able to deliver those results yet, right? So I think I think it kind of speaks for itself in that way. Um, but people are, I think, discounting it a little bit heftily. They're not meant, they're not really realizing actually how much progress there is and the fact that there's hundreds of thousands of people driving around in their cars with just cameras. I mean, to put that in context, Waymo's got less than a thousand cars and Cruise has about 300 cars. So 700 cars and 300 cars versus 4 million cars with 400,000 of them, about 10% now running the FSD beta software already. Yeah. My, like, yeah, I couldn't have said about better myself. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll pivot to, um, maybe we'll pivot to, uh, uh, questions on spaces. Now we'll do about 10, 15 minutes there. And then we'll do a, like a written Q and a, we'll collect some uh, questions from the comments and the producer wife will bring them up. Uh, how's that sound? Should we do some, uh, some crowdsourcing of questions? Cool with that. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so if you're on Spaces, uh, Twitter Spaces, by the way, shout out to, uh, I think we have, let me see if I can do some dirty math here. Uh, let me see how many people we have across all platforms. So we have about a th uh, 900 people right now, almost 1,000 people on YouTube. We have uh, somewhere between 350 and 380 on Twitter between the live stream that's in video and Spaces. So what is that, 1,200 people watching live right now? So thank you all very much for joining us today. Really appreciate you guys. I see some requests on spaces. So please, as I bring you up, please ask uh, a question or, or make a comment. And then I'll, I'll, uh, I'll sort of bring you back down to listener. And then so we can go as, through as many people as humanly possible. And for the folks on YouTube, I'm going to do something that's super advanced. I'm going to put my phone speaker to the microphone so you can hear the spaces question. So uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and try that and hopefully I don't make uh, a fool out of myself. So let me go ahead and bring up Landon uh, as a speaker. So let's go ahead and make sure that works. And then uh, Omar, since you're the guest, I'll let you, I'll let you be the, uh, the sort of the answer giver. How does that sound? You okay with that responsibility? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Perfect. Uh, all right, Landon, go ahead and on mute and um, go for it. Hey, thank you so much. It looks like you are both tweeting some information on a new beta 11.4 that may be based on a 2023 architecture. Can you speak to what you're excited about as far as other features that may be released on non-beta before now that you're excited to see come out on our beta builds? Thanks very much. Great space. Well, gee, honestly, I forgot uh, what features are in the latest branch. Do you, do you remember, Farzad, that are in the 2023 20, branch that we don't have yet? I mean, I'm sure there's some good ones, but I'm not sure exactly. I think it's like a, it's a combination of um, th there's just some updated uh, ways of the car behaving. The biggest one that that jumps out to me, I think there was a big reduction on uh, on being in the wrong lane for uh, making the right, you know, arriving at the destination or making the turns, I think was one of the biggest changes there. So that's the one I'm really excited for. I haven't had any uh, sort of on-hand experience with 1140. I haven't received it, but it does look like it's a lot of like creature comfort type changes where it's going to instill confidence on the driver is what I'm gathering. I don't know if that's what you gathered as well, but that was my takeaway. Yeah, I think... It's going to be really interesting. I mean, 
the FSD beta people have always been on this different branch. So we don't necessarily get the latest Tesla features. I know there have been like, for example, a lot of updates to Apple Music and a lot of bug fixes and usability in the general software that the FSD beta users don't get for some time. But one thing that I'm really excited about is that they've now removed the request FSD beta button and they're now putting it on to 2023. I think they're going to just merge the FSD beta into the normal sort of branches that they release to people, to anyone who has FSD. And so this could be the end of having a separate number of versions that are outdated for FSD beta and really starting to keep things more in parity as it gets released to the general user base. So I'm not sure exactly what non-FSD features are in 2023-6, but uh, I'm excited to see that reach parity and for new users to be able to get into FSD beta just by buying or subscribing without having to jump through any hoops or do safety score or any of that. Awesome. Thank you, Omar. All right. I have Jeff on the stage. Jeff, go ahead and unmute and please ask your question or make a comment. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks so much for this space and all your contributions to the community. I got two questions and for, or two comments. And I'd love your reaction. So far, about far as it's point about the chorus of FSD and people getting behind it is really interesting to me. And just over the past couple of weeks, I've heard two things that surprised me. In the Tesla community, we think of them as features of the system, and I heard people reference them as drawbacks. So the first is the cameras versus LiDAR. We tend to think of it as the right approach, the minimum uh, necessary and scalable version of uh, what you need for sensors. But this person said it's demonstration that Elon is stingy and he stinged down on the sensors. The second was related to the frequency of updates. I tend to get really excited. A lot of people get excited when a new update comes. So it's something that is a feature. It helps us get closer to full self-driving and rover taxis. But this person saw it as evidence that something that is that unreliable or they just took frequency as a drawback rather than uh, something that we need. So for others that are maybe less in tune with what's going on, they might see some of these things as drawbacks. I'd love to hear your reactions to that and any things that you've heard that might be barriers or challenges. Go for it, Omar. Thank you. Okay, so on the subject of sort of LIDAR, really what's important is bringing up the average safety on the road as soon as possible. So. There's a lot of people who are going to die in car crashes this year. And a great number of those crashes could be reduced by not full autonomy, but actually just automatic emergency braking. You know, it's not full autonomy. It doesn't require advanced AI. It's just detecting something's there and braking. Just that can reduce fatalities by like something like 50%. You know, it's kind of incredible. Very basic, right? It's not full human intelligence. It's very basic. So getting the features out as soon as possible, even before they're imperfect, that's going to save lives. And Elon said once, I wouldn't put LiDAR on the cars, even if it was free. Because it's not necessarily about being stingy. It's the fact that if you put all of this extra hardware on the car, you're not gonna be able to get it to that person whose life needs to be saved because they're not gonna buy that car. It's gonna be at a much higher cost. I mean, you look at Lucid, for example, Lucid's got LiDAR on their car, but their dream drive system, 
it can't even make lane changes yet on the highway. So despite having LIDAR, it's much less advanced and requires takeover moreover than FSD. And of course, the car is much more expensive and nobody can buy it. So really the important thing isn't, you know, making sure the car is really expensive because you're stingy. You actually want to decrease the price by keeping things simple so that you can get it out to everybody so that every car sold can have this technology and you can reduce fatalities. That's really the goal. And, you know, these other companies aren't doing it because they're less stingy. They're doing it because they don't have the fleet. They don't have the data set to build a pure vision system that can perform adequately. So they need LIDAR, right? That's the difference. Um, so, and then I think the second thing you mentioned was the frequency of updates. Tesla releases an FSD beta update every day, every day, sometimes multiple times a day, but they don't release every day to all the users. They only release when the update is better than the update that came out before or at least they have a good handle on it. They believe that's the case. So while they, they were developing FST beta 11, they had a lot of major changes. They didn't release anything for a while. Now that it's out, they're able to push more minor updates. It doesn't necessarily indicate anything's wrong. I mean, there's lots of new things to fix in any new version, but faster updates is I think generally a good thing. Um, as long as, you know, the updates aren't introducing any major issues. So, I'm really excited to see 11.4, a new major update going out maybe as soon as tonight. And, um, you know, I think things are going pretty good overall. I think people are pretty happy. Uh, so I'm definitely not worried about updates coming too much. Perfect. Thank you, Omar. All right, let's do, uh, let's do one more question on spaces and then we'll move over to uh, YouTube Q and A. Uh, obedience, go ahead on mute and ask your question or make a comment. You know, actually, I I don't have any question to ask, but actually, I'm just just saying a kudos to each and everyone in the space for the enlightenment. Thank you very much. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for that's listening. awesome. Thank you so much. Thank yeah, thank you for listening. That's that's great. That's, I always think it's funny how many sweet. people just want to listen to people talk about Tesla anytime. There seems to be just endless demand for listening to people talk about Tesla. You think people would get bored, but I guess not. <laughs> I agree. I think it's just there's it's such a such a you know there's a lot of it's inspiring nature to it. It's such a game changer. I think a lot of us in the United States kind of lose sight of the fact that uh, the the impact of this company is quite global, and uh, I'm reminded of that every single day on 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 Twitter. And it's it's just very humbling. You know, it's just cool to just be part of a of something like this. That's it's just it feels really good. It feels really cool. You know, it's just great. And then that's I'm one of my favorite things about it too. Yeah. That you have these people from Europe, from China, from all over the world who are like excited about it. And you see it changing so many markets. Actually in the US, in the European and Chinese market, they're selling way more EVs as a share of the total auto market than the United States. So we're actually behind. But yeah, it's really interesting the global aspect of it. For sure. I'm actually going to bring up one more. Uh, Shadrach, I, I don't know if I pronounced your name right, but uh, go ahead and uh, unmute and uh, ask your question or make a comment.
Uh, can you hear me? Uh, it's uh, Sh- Shadrach. I think I'm uh, I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Go ahead and unmute and uh, ask your question or ask a comment. Otherwise, we'll go over to a uh, YouTube Q and A. Speak now or forever hold your peace. Going once, going twice. Okay, no problem. All right, so let's go ahead and uh, pull up some uh, questions on YouTube. We'll uh, let me see if I can remember how to use my phone. I'm going to go back to AirPods Pro on my phone. Perfect. Uh, Omar, can you hear me? Okay. Yep. Okay, perfect. All right, so let's go ahead and bring up some questions on on YouTube. Producer wife, uh, the greatest producer in the history of mankind, both because she's a great producer and she's my wife. Thank you very much. All right, question on YouTube from Paul. What are your thoughts about a compact car in the United States? In my opinion, they won't sell as well as perhaps a redesigned Model 3. I don't see many compact cars on the road. I have a lot of thoughts about this, but I'll let you go first, Omar, because you're our distinguished guest. (laughs) Well, I think you're right that the compact market is not as hot in the U.S. as it is in Europe and China. I mean, in Europe and China, they're going to eat this compact up because they have smaller streets. A compact is a lot more suited to those markets in many ways. And there's also a need to push the price down in those markets. So I think the next gen platform, the compact, it's going to be a huge hit in Europe and China. I think they'll sell a decent number of them in the U.S. too. But really what it's about for me is the robotaxi. And if you look on Tesla's production and delivery schedule, they actually refer to the Gen 3 platform as robotaxi and others, right? So there's going to be a few different vehicles built on this next gen platform, but it's going to have half the cost of a 3 and Y, which means that for the same amount of investment, you can build two robotaxis for the price of one. And guess what the average number of riders per Uber or Lyft is? It's 1.2. So the vast majority of time, you've got one person in there or maybe two people in there. And so a smaller car without controls, they can actually have probably almost as much space as a three or Y inside if it's an autonomous car without controls. And that's going to be great. If I just want to call a quick robo-taxi ride for one person, this is the perfect vehicle for that, even in the U.S. market, I think. Um, so I, I think there's probably also going to be a van and some other stuff. So I think it'll be an entry-level product, and the entry-level product's always uh, popular. I think they're going to be doing things like steer by wire and stuff that are going to make this a lot better for a robo-taxi than any other model. It's sort of purpose-built for that. Um, so... Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot sold in the United States and also in Mexico, right? Mexico can't really buy a lot of these cars. South America can't really buy a lot of these cars. And I think they're going to actually have a lot more people in Mexico and South America that can afford one of these uh, compacts or next generation Teslas on the next gen platform. So that's really exciting and just sort of expanding the TAM between the three main developed markets we have today of us europe and china yeah those are, those are great call outs i i think that the compact car market in the united states isn't that big and I, i'm i'm going to try to use the best words possible here i think it's because there are no good cars in that segment from any automaker you know i think the toyota corolla as an example 
is a extremely reliable car. But my first I've car. I've never heard your first car, right? Phenomenal car. It, yeah, I it just, it. that thing will will survive the a, a nuclear holocaust. Okay, that thing is insane. <laughs> However, I've never heard one person say, "I love driving my Toyota Corolla," or "I love the feature set and the incredible entertainment that my Toyota Toyota Corolla offers me." I love the acceleration of my Toyota Corolla. <laughs> I love the driving dynamics of my Toyota Corolla. I've never heard that before in my life, right? So, and this is where the compact car, I think, is going to completely change the dynamic of what it means to own an affordable car. Uh, an electric vehicle naturally has uh, advantages from a driving dynamic perspective that a gas car doesn't, which is low center of gravity uh, and very quick acceleration at zero RPM. These two things together are make for a very good driving experience, a really good driving experience. So once you enable that type of driving experience for the masses, I think it creates this sort of new thing that a lot of people haven't experienced before, which is a kind of a fast car. And having a kind of a fast car that handles really well is kind of exhilarating, man. It feels great. It feels really good to be in, in power of that such vehicle. And so the only question has been for these automakers, how can I offer this at an affordable price? And it turns out that when you have a gas car architecture, it's really hard to do it affordably because it messes with your uh, weight distribution and it just messes with a lot of things that you have to account for versus just sticking a freaking suspension on there and an engine and a transmission that takes forever to shift. And, you know, it's the slowest thing in the world, but it gets you from point A to point B. So once that gets introduced, I think that's going to break the paradigm of what it means to have an affordable car. It's going to create a market that hasn't existed before. And so from that standpoint, you put that within the context of where we are today, especially in the United States. It is impossible to find an affordable car in the United States, especially new. Everything is a pickup truck or an SUV. Automakers don't really make these uh, mass market cars and mass anymore because that's not where the profit is. It's in the SUVs and the pickups, but they're unaffordable to most people. And you think about the dynamic of the uh, of how people for the last, say, 15 to 20 years, their paychecks really haven't kept up with inflation and all these other other things. So there's a, there's a craving for affordable car. Think about how many people take public transport, transport because they have to. How many people take a bus because they have to. How many people carpool because they have to. How many people can't even, freak, they, they walk to work because they have to, or they <laughs> pick a job around them because they can't afford a car. Like, there, this dynamic is very real in the United States. And so one that, once that gets introduced, it's going to change a paradigm. It's, it's really going to change it. And then the autonomy part of it is a completely different equation that puts a completely different thing on top of it. So that's how I think about it. Um, yeah, that's how I think about it. So Yeah, imagine the performance model of that Tesla Compact. That's going to be something. Yeah, it'd be sick. You know, it's like the it's like a it's like the hot hot hatch days with the Honda Civic back in the day. But this thing is going to be incredibly affordable, and it's going to get uh, you know it's going to cost you a quarter of what it costs you to run the Civic, and it never freaking breaks down. Oh, and it drives itself, by the way. <laughs> okay, cool. Why wouldn't somebody buy that? Right. That's that's how I think about it. I mean, it's going to uh, be the entry go, model go. Tesla. Yeah. It's going to be the entry model. There's so many people who I hear saying. You know, I love Tesla. I love the safety. I love autopilot. I want to put my kid in a car like that, but I don't necessarily want to spoil them by buying them a $40,000 car. I think a lot of people, right. if there was just something entry level, they're going to sell a lot of that that they just couldn't access before. Great point. Great point. Uh, let's do a couple more. Let's bring up the uh, next question on YouTube from 
Alex, a community member. That's why he has that cool little symbol next to his name. Thank you, Alex, for your support. Uh, question, will there be any surprises from Energy, Leather Factory? How do you think about this, Omar? I'm guessing for Q1. I mean, I think there will be. A lot of people have sort of just written off the energy business. They don't expect much from it because historically it hasn't been too much to write home about. And especially in the last two years, the energy business has sort of suffered from the chip shortage more than the automotive because Tesla knows that automotive is what people look at. When they had a chip shortage, they prioritized automotive to the expense of, you know, mega packs and power walls and things like that. But now things are really starting to change a lot. People are really realizing that we need a shit ton of these mega packs and power walls. Um, we got the power wall three coming down the line, which is huge. They've got some new mega pack products and we've got Lathrop in Shanghai. I mean, once that Shanghai mega pack factory is built, the margins on that factory are going to be incredible, much better than Lathrop for sure. And in California and in the United States, they've now got a 30% federal tax credit that you can get on the price of any battery, whether that's a power wall or a mega pack or whatever, that's huge, 30%. And guess what? Um, you don't even need to get solar. It used to be that you needed to buy solar plus battery to qualify. Now you can just buy the battery by itself. So, I mean, this business is growing faster than the vehicle business. Um, people are really waking up to the fact that you can't move to a renewable energy economy without the mega pack and the power wall. So it's going to become very significant over time. And it hasn't really been too much to write home about because they've just been doing a small amount of production in Nevada. But as Lathrop and Shanghai ramp and they're making these things at much, much higher uh, quantities, you're going to see it start to become much more profitable and to be much more material to the overall equation of Tesla's quarterly earnings. And I think the other thing that people miss is that similar to how Tesla will sell you the car, but then they'll also sell you the autopilot. Tesla also has a lot of really in interesting energy software products that they sell alongside the mega pack. Like for example, you got autopilot for the car, you got auto bidder for the mega pack. And auto bidder is a system that can forecast energy prices, look at the energy market, and then autonomously monetize that battery resource for you. So rather than having someone try to operate and trade energy, you just set it and forget it. The battery goes and makes money itself. You got, you know, microgrid controller and stuff like that. So I think Tesla is going to make a lot of money, not just selling the mega packs and supporting them and providing maintenance, but also selling a lot of software services on top of that. That's actually probably going to be much higher margin than the mega pack. And this business is, really only started to flush out. So I'm not sure I can really quantify, you know, when exactly uh, that hits the financials, but I think you started to see some signs of um, really strong, you know, budding financial performance for the energy sector in, uh, in Q4. And I wouldn't be surprised to see that even uh, continue to play out in Q1 and beyond. But I think Definitely by the end of the year, it's going to start to become clear uh, how you really quantify the impact of Lathrop in Shanghai making mega packs. Yeah, no, that's that's great commentary. It's um, 
Yeah, I, th I think by the end of the year, I would be surprised if energy isn't a big part of the discussion with Tesla because they're going to have four quarters to ramp up Lathrop and they'll be uh, building out Shanghai. And so once Lathrop is proven out to be quite a profitable center for Tesla and they're like, oh, my God, they're literally going to double it out of China next year or end of next year. They'll have the production to be able to double it. I think at some point they'll start getting credit for that. And, you know, you go super long term and you extrapolate out the potential of this business. It's hard to kind of almost wrap your head around it <laughs> of how transformative it is. And then the sort of and I hate this word, this synergistic uh sort of relationship with the car business where the scaling of the battery side of the business on energy is going to help lower the cost of batteries on the car business as well which is going to allow them to uh, even lower the cost of the cars even further to the point that maybe they're making uh, insane amounts of profits depending on how much demand there is for that uh, product relative to its peers so yeah it's a um, we'll see we'll see what happens let's do one more question on youtube and then we'll wrap this sucker up and the lucky question person is Jasper. Question, is FSD level four and five possible with hardware three or is hardware four the minimum requirement? This is like the big, big question. I've changed my mind on this with the latest versions, but you, where's your head at with this? Yeah, I mean, I think it is possible. So just, you know, thinking through this logically, I'm experiencing zero takeover drives with my car today. And okay, well, would it be possible for the car to be zero takeover more reliably over time? Yes, I think so. And the software is still very primitive in many ways. Um, there's still a lot of low hanging fruit they could take to improve how the software reacts. Like Elon just mentioned that, you know, the pedestrian detection is pretty good but it hasn't even started to take into account the way the pedestrian is looking or their hand gestures, which can be really important in knowing how to control for them accurately. So there's so much you can do with software. I think people tend to really overestimate the role of hardware and really underestimate the role of software. Um, and it's hard for them to sort of imagine how the software gets better because I think people have a hard time picturing the software or understanding what it does. Really, you know, software is the key here and uh, and not hardware. So hardware four and hardware three are both designed to be compatible with each other. And I think both can achieve driverless, at least in, you know, some limited capabilities, you know, good weather, whatever. Um, I think you'll be able to get it to a level of reliability where it can perform driverless rides. Um, you know, you'll probably start seeing them operate driverlessly in boring tunnels relatively soon and then just expanding to more and more places and Harbor four will probably be better and safer. Um, but both hardware three and both and hardware four look like they're trending to get to a place where they, um, actually exceed human performance in terms of safety. And honestly, you know, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day because People are always replacing their cars. You know, they're replacing the hardware. They're replacing the software. What really matters to people is just, is it continuing to get better and better and better? And those are the results I think people are seeing, right? So you're not necessarily going to keep your hardware three car forever. You'll be using hardware three. Right now, there's not that much of a difference. Hardware four can't actually even run FSD yet. So right now, hardware three is a little bit better. But the software is just going to continue to get better and better. I think people are going to be surprised by how much better 
uh, it can get with just a software update, as we've already started to see happen, especially with more and more users putting data in, it's just going to be improving faster and faster. And of course, the hardware is going to be upgraded too. So we're not stuck with the hardware three, hardware forever. There's going to be hardware four, hardware five, hardware six, hardware seven. And, um, you know, the bottom line is just continuing to improve the performance over time. And I think they're on a good, really good trajectory to do that um, and to get a lot of value out of the 4 million hardware three cars that are out there. Yeah, I think from, from my standpoint is all the all the issues I have with full self-driving today are not related to hardware. Like, oh, you didn't sense that. It was a decision the car made around what it sensed. And so to me, that tells me it's a software thing. Now, this is in good weather or, you know, good enough weather that is not like, you know, say whiteout conditions or a lot of rain coming down or say there's ice on the road. So I, I don't want to speak about hardware three and hardware four in those contexts. But when it comes to a, uh, let's say, a good, good to decent driving conditions without any severe weather, uh, my experience has been decision making and decision making to me seems like a software issue. So we'll see. And my mind has changed on that because before I was like, man, I wonder if hardware four is the thing that's going to allow the system to make better decisions. But then version 11 came in and I'm like, oh, no, it's definitely not. It's totally the software. Right. So we'll see, you know, we'll see what they'll do over time. And a lot of people miss this. You've seen, for example, that picture of a cruise hitting the bus, right? It had LIDAR. It knew the bus was there, right? But what happened was a planning issue where it saw the front of the bus move and it didn't realize it was one of those connected buses that kind of moves differently. So you can see it, but still predict that it's going to move the wrong way. And a lot of people miss that. Um, percept like I think what's clear is that there's a number of different perception stacks that you can use. There's a number of different sensor suites which are workable. And there's not just one sensor suite that you can use. There's a lot of different ones that can be workable, but we aren't able to drive because of our eyes, right? Someone who wears glasses or someone who wears contacts versus someone who has better vision, they can all drive versus a bird that has much better vision doesn't have the intelligence to drive. So what it's really about is the brain, right? It's not about the eyes, it's about the brain. It's our brains that allow us to drive more than our eyes. And people with various eyesight abilities can all drive. So same thing in the software. The software is the key. Great, great point. I love that analogy. All right. We're uh, a bonus question. Okay, producer wife saying bonus question. We'll do one last one and then we'll... Uh, we'll uh, Ishan, uh, producer wife, please make him ask Omar's favorite food. Okay. <laughs> Omar, favorite food from Ishan? We have to know. We have to know. Hmm. Favorite food. Um, I mean, I eat, I mean, I eat a lot of like uh, rice and chicken, honestly, just from like being Kashmiri and, you know, growing up that way. But I also really, you know, I'd have to give a shout out to In-N-Out for sure. You know, being from California, <laughs> I love In-N-Out. They have them all over the highways. There's nothing like when you're taking a road trip on FSD and you're starving and you just see that In-N-Out sign and, you know, you're just going to get a really good burger for $2. So got to give a shout out to In-N-Out. That's awesome. Well, that's that's a great answer. Ishan, I hope I hope you're uh, you can go to bed uh, and sleep well tonight. So 
All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today, Omar. Thank you so much, man. Thank you for making the time. This was an awesome conversation. You're welcome back anytime. And I look forward to speaking with you on Spaces and and wherever else, man. You're I think you're an awesome asset to the community. Always love hearing your insight. And I think you have a very unique uh, sort of set of talents and knowledge that really helps us understand uh, Tesla's uh, progress. Uh, any parting words before we wrap the sucker up? Uh, yeah, thanks so much. Same to you. And uh, let's all hope the numbers are good tonight. <laughs> yeah, let's go everybody cross your fingers and toes uh hit the like button on youtube if you enjoyed it uh everybody in the comment section thank you all so much for for uh, keeping the conversation incredibly respectful and very fruitful as always mots thank you all so much for keeping the conversation great uh and then last but not least of course uh producer wife thank you so much great job as always producing the show you are a star look at her giving herself a nice clap on youtube all right everybody we'll see you tomorrow for earnings uh have a great day and bye-bye take it easy thank you omar Oh, we're still on.